This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And fall out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. And welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. With me, as always, my very good friend and co-host, Eric O'Branson. Eric, how you doing, man? I'm doing okay. Been uh, nice. fighting with technology, but other than that, good. So, <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like we're all going to be fighting from technology soon when Russia cyber hacks every aspect of our lives because we've turned it over to billionaire tech overlords like Zuckerberg yes. and Bezos and Musk and everything. But otherwise, yeah. I mean, weather, weather's getting warmer, so that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we had a couple of nice days there and then we got snow again yesterday and or this morning actually. And I I was so pissed so, because Yeah. I know my, you yeah, you had a good time with that. Fucking hell, my wife got me up. <laughs> way too late she's like oh by the way i gotta go to work early i need you to get the kids up get them to school oh yeah and it snowed and i was like yeah we're supposed to just get a dusting and she's like yeah it's like three inches yeah and my snowblower broke so. yep that was me last time it snowed i took the snowblower out and like got one strip down and it broke it's like uh and it's, it's yeah. something i know how to fix on it but uh, just a pain in the butt because i have to drain all the gas out of it and flip it over and what oh yours is like actually like a mechanical like an engine problem no it's the like i don't know i don't know what you call it i i'm so clueless when it comes to pretty much anything motorized but um it's the pin on the rotor um that like the actual snowblower rotor the Mm -hmm. part that spins and tosses snow um it the accelerator has this little like line that goes down to it and it connects to a pin that can break away if it like runs into a huge chunk of ice so essentially so it doesn't destroy itself trying to run over like whatever it's stuck on this pin's made to break away um i don't recall ever running anything over but somehow that little pin broke and it's a really easy fix but you do have to get underneath of it which if Mm. you can't do with you know a full tank of gas and oil in it because otherwise it'll (laughs) yeah so yeah, it's funny. I, I I don't think mine has that little pin because that's what happened. Is the whole blade thing just broke? Yeah, uh, yeah. And mine's got the rubber blades, and they just. I, I was running it today, and I heard like, "What the hell is knocking in this thing?" And all of a sudden, part of, like rubber just started flying. No, I was no. Like, oh <laughs> shit! And I didn't hit anything. It was just yeah. so. Yeah. So I'm hoping um, we get rid of all that, but. Well, that might be the oldest and whitest thing we've ever talked about on the show. Yeah. That's so how our snowblowers this, broke. This week on the Snowblower Repair Podcast. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why are you listening? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Tonight we're actually yeah. starting a new uh, two-parter. Yeah. This yeah. will be kind of fun. Heading back to some roots. Going back to some uh, classic holiday-themed slashers. Yes. But some of the unsung ones are at least somewhat unsung. 
right? Because we, we wouldn't yeah. dare. I don't know. Should we say we wouldn't dare cover Halloween? It's just so iconic. It's not anything that's yeah. I mean, forgotten. I I would. I mean, I would not ever mind sitting down and having a conversation about Halloween. But it's it. I feel like I'm retreading a thousand conversations I've already had, and probably a thousand literally other podcasts that are out there. So exactly. You know. Um. Yeah. Figure we stick to a few of the ones and and. Neither of the ones are, we're doing for for this pairing are necessarily, like, unheard of. They're not, like, hard to come by or anything, but they're not Halloween. They're not Friday the 13th. They're... Exactly. Yeah. Kind of kind so, of the knockoff ones, but just as... And we, we've talked about some of these before. Not these ones in particular, but this type of film. Like, technically, Christmas Evil uh, right. was, was kind of trying to, to follow the same pattern here. Uh, well, and I think the idea for doing this this couple of films came on the tale of doing uh, Terror Train for our mm-hmm. New Year's special. So that's right, kind of. That's yeah. right. There was actually a kind of a dare we say a rash of these in the early eighties. Yeah. Um, kind yeah, of trial following, following, yeah, those those coattails, right? Like of of, of Halloween, Friday Thirteenth, and so mm-hmm. on. So yeah, um, which were both massive uh, hits for the studios. Yeah. So. And actually, the one that we're going to be talking about tonight isn't one that was really scoffed at. It was a bit controversial and yep. you know, was, was fairly well-known. Uh, in fact, even even remade um, in 2009. At this point. At this point, yeah, that's true. Maybe not next <laughs> yeah, week's, though. So. Maybe. but uh, It has been. <laughs> oh, has it really? Oh, shit. Yeah. I wasn't aware until I started looking around for copies of it. And yeah, there, there's a remake of that one, too, so. Oh, gosh, now that I think of it, maybe I did know that. But tonight we're going to be talking about the 1981 Canadian slasher film My Bloody Valentine. It's a bad time, this time of year. How many times is he going to tell this story? I'll let him tell it. I love fairy tales. This ain't no fairy tale, little girl. If you don't take it seriously, you're a fool! (laughs) The first Valentine's dance in 20 years has to be something special. Look, Landers, you gotta get a lot of exercise if you're gonna grapple with Gretchen. Oh, yeah? Well, I got a valentine for her that she's never gonna forget. <laughs> right to the heart, huh? In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. Looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dancer, it'll happen twice. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Take your pick. 
bloody Valentine. Uh, so this one directed by George uh, Mahalka. Yeah, I think Mahalka. Yep. Yeah, Mahalka, and uh, give you a, a very very brief synopsis. It, the plot tells the story of a group of young adults who decide to throw a Valentine's Day party only to incur the vengeful wrath of a maniac in mining gear who begins a killing spree. Um, yeah. and, Might sound a little yeah. familiar plot wise from if you've watched any of these. If you've watched slasher films, but. yeah. If you've watched any slasher film of the eighties, <laughs> you have the basic idea of a bunch of young adults go to screw somewhere they shouldn't, and where there's already a legend of a murderer, and the murderer comes back or something, right? Yeah. Um, what's your history with this one? Um, this one, my history actually is not that old. With I think I saw this initially maybe ten years ago at the most, probably even a little more recently than that. Um, it was kind of on a whim. I don't know if I, I don't know if it was just on a streaming service or whatever. And I was just like, oh, I've never seen my bloody Valentine. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I've read about it, but, um, never watched it. And it maybe it was around the time that the remake came out. I don't remember, but, um, but yeah, so I, I did not see this one when I was younger growing up. I don't remember our video store having a copy of this. I don't think it was, a, but I do remember, maybe I'm wrong because I do remember the cover art for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I certainly never saw this one until I was well into adulthood. And I remember it being kind of a pleasant surprise. Like I, I think I thought I was getting into a much stupider movie than it ended up being. Not that it's not stupid, but it's kind of stupid in a much better way than I, than I anticipated. It was much more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. I was kind of I was kind of checking the boxes, like, oh, I've never seen this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have kind of a, uh, and this is something I have to keep in mind when I watch this one because anytime you have like a good memory of the first time you saw it, maybe from other things, it can mm. feed into your your way of, of you know critically watching something. But uh, I also saw this. I it wasn't actually in two thousand nine, a little bit before the remake came out. Um, my wife and I went to Chicago for a film festival called Terror in the Isles 2. Hmm. Yep. And been to Terror in the Isles myself a couple of times. So Yeah, and this one, um, we got to see My Bloody Valentine, the director's cut, and um, Mihalka was actually there. Oh, and nice. introduced the film and, and talked about you know the stuff that they had to cut out because of the nine minutes of extra footage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got to see that version. And then afterwards, um, there was a screening of the first Evil Dead, and Tom Sullivan came out with original props from that and talked about them and answered a bunch of questions. And then at midnight of that festival, Michael Doherty came out and showed Trick or Treat. Oh, nice. So I got to see Trick or Treat. I got to see Evil Dead 1 with Tom Sullivan there with, like, the original, like, Kandaharian dagger. Mm-hmm. Um and and got to watch the first time I saw this was the director's cut with Mahalka in the audience, so it was pretty goddamn cool. Yeah, <laughs> and that was cool. and that was my first horror film film like uh, film festival. Cool. So yeah. I have very very positive memories of seeing this for the first time. But I'll be honest, rewatching it uh, today, I didn't really remember much about it. So. Right, right. Well, and it it's not like it's. It's not like it's totally unique. It's got some aspects that are unique component compared to its, you know, um, its peers, but it um, it is still a slasher film, and it's still very much kind of in the vein of those movies. So yeah, some of it can kind of fade, but yeah, a, and 
it feels a bit better than most of these kind of slashers. Like honestly, I think I enjoyed this one more right away from uh, than, than like Terror Train. Yeah, I don't remember what I scored Terror Train, so I guess at the end of this episode I'll either be a hypocrite or not, but um, <laughs> or a liar or not. But no, I I was more engaged in this one. Yeah, I I actually it's funny because I can't remember exactly what I scored Terror Train either, but I feel like I I yeah right off the bat I think this is a little bit better um, movie than Terror Train. It and I'm not sure exactly like I had trouble while watching this putting my finger on what exactly I enjoy so much about this, and I by the end I think I figured out that I think it has a certain amount of self awareness already to it that it you know. Um, it kind of knows it's coming on the coattails of these other things, and it leans into that like holiday theme kind of harder than some of the other ones does, and it's all to its benefit. Uh, it leans into most of the things that it does well. Um, I can't imagine seeing this movie, and I'm kind of, so so in a way, what I was going to kind of get to um, with my early experiences of this film is I'm kind of glad I did not see this um in the american cut uh from 1980 theatrical cut from 1981 because i think they've trimmed most of what is so good about this movie and that that this movie has some incredibly uh well good special effects but interesting um gross kills in it uh that Mm -hmm. i can't imagine it being as good without and 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 they were totally without like they or lost eight minutes from their original cut they were able to restore I think two or three minutes of footage and mostly special effects footage. Um, some of it's still missing and, and presumed gone forever. Who knows? Maybe someday they'll, they'll find some more of it, but um, mm. yeah. But yeah, it's a, uh... it, it, you're, you're, I think one of the things right away I noticed about it that feel felt different than terror train or prom night, which we covered many, many episodes back. Mm. Um, is those and a lot of the other slashers like that were these copycats around that time were were doing like okay so here's the tragic backstory right up front yep you know even uh was it pieces that we reviewed yeah does the yeah, same thing that same thing yep it's like there's this prologue that rem- i mean really what you're doing the rest of the movie is wondering all right well which of you is the fucked up kid all grown up now yeah you know um, well, and Friday the 13th does the same thing to a certain extent, but then it ends up being a MacGuffin. Well, kind of. There's the surprise right. ending, too. But, like, yeah. So, but but it's definitely there. There's the prologue, so. Exactly. So, I kind of feel like this one does it a little differently because they don't do that. Right. It, you know, there there is an exposition dump. There is that backstory given, but it's told in a way through a character that it makes a lot more sense why it's going to be told the way it's being told. Mm-hmm. You've well, got it, this, it, like, you know... This backstory builds up through the the town mythology, through everybody kind of talking about it. And you hear, obviously, the bartender is the, you know, you're all doomed guy in this... The harbinger, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he... he is Graper, I don't know what the actor's name was. He played the bartender in this, but his performance is... Uh, He's almost as good as the the literal you're all doomed guy from uh, Friday the Thirteenth. So, um, but yeah, he he kind of gives them the whole lowdown on this, and and of course everybody who grew up in this in this tiny town was already aware of the story, but he's you know obviously repeating it in detail for the benefit of the viewer. Um, 
Well, and I love but the yeah. context of why he does it, too, because it's like, oh, they're laughing about, like, that's nothing to laugh at. I was there. And he just tells the story. It's like, mm-hmm. they all know the story. They just yeah. don't give a shit. Well, and it's funny because they keep laughing and kind of giving him a hard time. So you get the impression, like, even in context, like, oh, yeah, there he goes again. He's telling the damn story. Like, <laughs> so, Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I actually really, like, kind of liked that about this one, is, is how the backstory yeah. is told. And you know that you're still guessing, but it does kind of leave the, you know, is it really the original guy? So I guess the, the backstory of this one, just to kind of bring everybody up to speed who might be listening, is um, the movie takes place 20 years after this great big tragedy that, that happened at the local mine in the town of Valentine, where uh, there was a an explosion that trapped some miners because they forgot to check for methane gas. And it wasn't that they, the reason they didn't check is they had left to go to a big Valentine's dance. Yep. Everyone was excited to get out and go to the party. So go to the party. And so they didn't check the methane gas. A bunch of miners got trapped in an explosion. And when they finally got in there, only one survivor, this guy named Harry Warden had survived, but he had gone insane and resorted to cannibalism. Mm -hmm. And then he, the next year murders the two guys who, caused the explosion and does some gory shit with their hearts and then he's committed and so now it's 20 years later and they're for some reason the town is putting the dance back on again and yep. it's the a triumphant start. return of the hot the valentine's day dance in uh in the town of what's it valentine bluff valentine, valentine bluff yeah. yeah valentine bluffs yep yep so, yeah, the question the whole time is, you know, is is this really Harry Warden back to kill more people, or is it somebody else? Yeah. So it, it does a really kind of a good job of, of setting itself apart from its predecessors by just the way it's telling that story is a little different. So I actually kind of liked the... And, and the, the, the flashback scene where they're telling the story is awesome. Mm-hmm. Especially yep. the cannibalism is just... <laughs> yeah, which great. all would have been cut out of the theatrical version of this film. Right. Because, yeah. So, um, and not all, like I'm sure the flashbacks there, but like the cannibalism bit, uh, you, you could tell when you watch the restored version, they've done a good job of putting it together, but you could tell it that it's from like a work print or something because of the films a little more damaged than the rest of the pretty pristine looking, um, film. Uh, the, they, they've restored the, the rest of the film very well. And it's just probably the best they can find, but you can certainly tell yeah. the difference. So it's like, Oh, this one was, this is a piece that was cut originally. So um another thing i think was interesting about this one is that the characters certainly kind of act like your typical um slasher film characters it but they're not exactly your typical characters they're actually like 20 somethings that are mine workers and they're you know girlfriends and spouses um not teenagers not high school kids which that gives a little bit um, of a unique spin because I'm pretty sure like every other one that I can think of, they're either college co-eds, high school students, um, or, or the like, you know, just basically teenagers looking to party. Uh, these, these people are certainly still looking to party. That's kind of the whole idea that they, you know, when things, you know, shit starts to go down they think Harry, Harry Borden is back. Um, they cancel the dance, they do all this stuff, and they, they, it's basically this group of people that are, you know, not going to be told not to have a party. 
Thank well, you. it's yeah, and you're right. They're, they're they'd be in their twenties, which means if and not twenty, but twenties, like mid twenties. Yeah. So making yeah, the actors actual age, actually age appropriate, not you know mid twenties playing high school kids, but <laughs> yeah, and, and it makes sense too because if they grew up in this town, they would have been hearing this legend their whole life. But now it's like it's twenty years later. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they grew up with it. It's going to be that kind of not really effective. Which is why they do a nice setup to that. You know, earlier on in the film, it shows everybody kind of making jokes about it. And the older people in the town are like, that's not funny. Yeah. Like, it's not just the bartender. Everybody in the town is, like, not Um, appreciating the gags. The mayor and the sheriff, um, who have their own kind of, like, quasi-comedy duo act going on. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, they're both very yeah same way. Like they they don't want to joke around about it. It's very serious. They lived through it, kind of thing. And yeah, all the young people, all those young youngins out, you know, don't have. But them. it it it's much more believable because you can think about that now. Like think about stuff that we experienced early in life and we grew up hearing about, and our kids don't give a shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Whatever. Yeah. Like the, oh, my daughter like said something to me the other day. Is, yeah. Yeah, she, my daughter said something to me the other day. She pointed to something that was like an antique thing from the 1960s, and she's like, that's from like the 20s, right? I'm like, no, that's from 20 years before I was born. Not <laughs> yeah. not 60 years before I was born. Jesus, how old do you think I am? <laughs> so, yeah, same kind of thing, where they, they just they don't care. And that's very believable. I, I find more believable than just the dumb, horny teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, and, so. and a lot of their actions are still kind of the same, you know, dumb, oh, yeah. teenager stuff that they do. But it, it grounds it a little bit more in, um, in why, I guess what's grounded about it is not necessarily their their behavior and their reactions to the situation. It's more like the situation itself. Like, these guys are, are all people that are very comfortable with the mine. They're all miners. So, you know, throwing a party at the mine doesn't seem... It, it helps it be more believable. If these were high school kids that drove out to throw a party at the mine and be like, okay, yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea at all. Why would anyone do that? So, Let's go to the old mine where the murders happened and have a party. Yeah, you right. know. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. In this case, like, ah, yeah, let's go there. We can get in. We'll give you a tour. It's kind of neat. Yeah. You know, and they, they were like they explaining were everything. Intending <laughs> to go down into the mine until, you know, they, they've had a few and decide, like, hey, let's go show the girls around the mine, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah and so. what did you think of the uh, so the murderer in this is the the miner, whether it's Harry Warden or whatever, but yeah, Ward, it's yeah. it's uh, Harry Warden the miner, and he's it's wearing a full blue bodywork suit, gas mask, and a hard hat, mm-hmm. and um, carrying a pickaxe. Yeah, definitely not as iconic as Jason Voorhees' hockey mask or Michael Myers' shape mask or Freddy no, Krueger's but... glove or Leatherface's human skin, but. It works pretty well. Like it's it's effectively creepy, I think, just because the the gas mask and kind of the an amini- am- yeah, I can't say it anonymity that it gives the uh, you know the person. It could really be anybody in there, which you know when we get to discussing the the twist ending. Um, but yeah, so so it's this kind of well, and I think gas masks as yeah, has been exploited in other media as well. Certainly are kind of a creepy. Uh, kind of a bug-like. Yeah. So you don't want to necessarily run into somebody dressed that way in the dark, you know, it, unless you, you know, when you're not expecting to, I guess. But, 
so yeah, I right. think he's, I think it's a it's incredibly effective, and I think um, you know we're all told that this is this crazy, um, you know, murder bent miner that's come back for revenge on the town, and um, it, yeah, I don't know, it all works pretty well. I think it's an effective costuming choice, and it's an easy one, and it makes sense within the plot. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do, what do you think? I I really like the the choices for the the minor design. I mean, they could have just done, you know, like a black ski mask like they did in Prom Night or, mm. you know, random masks or something like they do in Terror Train, but um it, it's kind of a shame because this ends up this the the killer in this has such a very distinct look with this whole minor gas mask thing. Is I mean, is it derivative yeah of course but it's kind of a shame it hasn't kind of held on into the you know the the ages of time the way that like the jason Voorhees mask has mm -hmm. because this is just as creepy as yeah. the ski as the hockey mask you know um yeah. i feel like this would be a really cool halloween costume it'd be a oh, little, yeah. little bit of a you know deep cut for <laughs> Um, a lot of people that know what you were what you were dressed up as, but for the people that that would get it, I think it would be very well appreciated and pretty easy to put together. So, oh so. sure, yeah, it wouldn't be hard at all. And I also love the fact that in a lot of the kill scenes of this, you see things from the killer's perspective, which is something mm -hmm. that's been done. It was also done in a few other, you know, it was done on the original Friday the Thirteenth. It's done yeah. in Halloween. Terror Train, Halloween, mm -hmm. but this one with like that gas mask and the breathing. Yeah. Yeah. is is really creepy and effective it's like you're seeing something and you're hearing the the sound of that breathing and you really don't want to see it you don't want to be in that position in that perspective and you're kind of forced to it's it's very effective it, you know it, it the movie's dated i'm not going to pretend like it's not it, it's 40 years old but right. it it actually um is still a, a little effective in, in some some shots Oh yeah, and some, there's a great build of suspense in a lot of the the kill scenes in this. Well, I think it's got a lot of big time strengths, and one one is that it never. I don't want to say it never takes itself seriously because it's certain. Certainly in the third act, it's it's a little more serious. But this movie is very much knows what it is. The second thing it does really really well is they have a great location. Shooting this thing in a mine or writing it around being set, at least the third act, like entirely in a mine is great it gives it this claustrophobic um you know mm -hmm. dark claustrophobic space um and then you know kind of just the whole premise of being caught down in a mine with a, a mad a madman or a monster of any sort it's kind of a um a great old horror um concept or great horror concept so yeah it's, it's got a bunch of major strengths and i think that's the main one is it's got a great location um it's it's shot really well i know I, there's some people that some initial reviews and stuff that complain and maybe it's been cleaned up in the version that we've we've seen of it but um complaining about not being able to see what was going on in the mine scenes i think it actually and, and again maybe it's in the remastered version or whatever it's a lot different but um I actually like the way it was shot quite a bit. It's almost all by lamplight, whether it is or not for real. But I know uh, when I was reading on Wikipedia production, um, the whole methane gas thing was not just a uh, moment in the script. They actually had to um, 
keep their lighting rig to a minimum because there was so much methane gas in the uh, mine they were shooting in that they couldn't have a lot of hot lights burning because it could, you know, potentially be explosive. <laughs> so it doesn't sound like it yeah. might have been the, uh, the best uh, conditions to work in, but uh, they pulled it off. It looks really cool. Well, and, and I also read possibly from the same uh, article that when the production team got there to shoot in the mine, turns out the, the location owners who owned the mine, they had cleaned it so well that they were like, it's way too bright and colorful. <laughs> and so they had to like dirty it up to make it look like an old dirty mine. Um, and they spent something like $30,000 of the budget to, yeah. to dirty up the set. Um, Cause it's like, Oh, if we went into an active real mine and found out this is not what we thought it was going to look like. Yep. So, yeah, I read that. $30,000 in black paint <laughs> to, <laughs> to get it looking like they wanted it to look. That's crazy. But <laughs> how much of the total budget of the film was that? Uh... Well, the budget was $2.3 million, so, I mean, that three hundred that's nothing to scoff at. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So. You know, $30,000 $30, is nothing to scoff at there. That's, that's significant. That's somebody's potential salary yeah. for being on it, but... Um, now, did you ever see the remake of this? I didn't, no. Um, I actually think I have a copy. I do have a copy of it, uh, but I haven't watched it. So I, I know I saw it and remember literally nothing about it, other than just that I've seen it. I can't imagine it's anything but disappointing. I don't know. Maybe I should, shouldn't be so, so much of an old curmudgeon about things like that, but I don't know. I, am, I just imagine, because I enjoy this movie, that the remake's probably disappointing. Well, the fact that the remake in 20, uh, 2009 came out and one of the things that was selling it was that it, it was a, th- a 3D movie. Yeah. Kind of yeah. tells you right there that, you know, it was uh, going a bit gimmicky. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I don't remember it being very good, but. Yeah, um, I'll pull it out one of these days and check it out, especially now that I've rewatched this one, so. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, and actually, just kind of re revisiting real quick to look at the timing of some of the other films that we've talked about that we, you know, have kind of compared this to. Um, this actually came out after um, Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday the 13th, uh, Prom Night, and Terror Train. This is like out of mm-hmm. all of those, this one, 81, it's the last one Yeah. of, of these. So yeah, and it, those those last few that you mentioned all were within like the same year or two, but yeah, yeah. yeah Friday Thirteenth, Prom Night, and Terror Turn were all nineteen eighty, mm-hmm. and then eighty one comes out this. So I'm sure it got, you know, accused of being, just oh, it's just another one of those. I mean, you're four movies in, you're you're probably getting a little bit of holiday slasher fatigue, right? Yeah, but this does stuff different than those other three. Four, yeah. if you really count Halloween, I don't remember the beginning of Black Christmas, but yeah, and they're they're gonna keep rolling with the holiday theme for a while still, but um, yeah, but yeah, I think this one, the one that the thing that this one does differently is it's actually into its gimmick. Uh, the Valentine concept plays a big part of the story. Not only is it a Valentine's Day, uh, you know, uh, urban legend. It's a town named Valentine Bluff. Uh, It's their annual Valentine's dance that is the big thing. But uh, Harry Warden, the murderer, um, sends Valentines to the sheriff throughout the movie with body parts and, you know, bad poems. (laughs) um, 
Yeah, as well as the whole subplot being a love triangle. Yeah, yeah. And not like a cheesy, terrible one. Like, it's it's somewhat intriguing. Like, it's, it's, you know what I mean? Like, the way it's written, it's like, okay, this sounds legit, like a problem. Right, it's it's not as shoot-in as, you know, most of the quote-unquote romantic scenes, because... Because usually in a slasher film, you'll identify within the first ten minutes of the film who your like final girl is going to be, or who the like main female character. Because in this in this movie, there doesn't end up being a quote unquote final girl. Um, there does, but there's more than one survivor of this uh, whole thing. So, um, but yeah, Sarah is our our final girl in this movie, and she, um, it's obvious, is going to be pretty much immediately upon meeting her versus every other female character in the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they they set up a love triangle with her um, her ex boyfriend TJ and her current boyfriend Axel, who works at the mine. And TJ has recently come back to town. He like you know blew town after high school or something. Tried to make it quote unquote somewhere else in the world and has found his way back to the mine. I also believe in some like little bits of dialogue that possibly his father, uncle, somebody in the family owns the mine. Well, TJ's um, father, I believe, is the mayor's son. Okay. Yeah, I knew he was connected to something. I thought it was to the yeah. mine, but yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, it does, it's an unimportant because it literally is only like in a throwaway line or two. But um, but yeah, so there's uh, kind of like this, you know, love triangle between the three of them and, you know, who... Who does Sarah want to be with? And uh, they're they're kind of at each other's throats, even though they were they're former friends, um, mm-hmm. and still have this like basic mutual respect for one another. But you know, the situation is getting in the way. Um, yeah, yeah. So so it's it's taken more seriously. I'm not sure it's any more like at the end of the day, it's any more interesting but it's not as throwaway as some of the well okay let's for the the snake movie we watched they threw a romantic subplot in there for pretty much no reason <laughs> right right um yeah so also they could they could much... justify the, the the female lead you know screaming and crying the guy's name at the end you know yeah yeah uh in in this one it it gives you something going on other than just the murders to focus on and it it's at least intelligently or not ineptly written. Where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, ex-boyfriend who left town came back and then current boyfriend and, you know, heads, you know, heads, passions collide or whatever. Okay, yeah, I've heard that before. It's nothing right. new, but it's at least believable. And it's the backdrop that's happening and then there's this backdrop going on in this. Well, and it does end murders. up being important to the ending, you know, we get mm-hmm. uh, so that's also tied up in when we find out what's really going on at the end of the film. Um, yeah, that, that that whole like love triangle thing is certainly um, you know, important to that as well. So, uh, Right. Well, I mean, should we should we just talk about what happens yeah, yeah, at the end spoiler yeah. alerts if i mean we always pretty much spoil yeah. everything so but yeah big time spoiler alert to the to the twist ending of this movie if you haven't seen it go watch it and then come back um but yeah so uh axel the current boyfriend actually ends up being the murderer 
<laughs> in this film. It's not actually Harry Warden. He's actually just, you know, he's taking advantage of this urban legend to kind of wreak havoc on Valentine's Day because Harry Warden murdered his father in front of him when he was a child. So there's this good old-fashioned uh, slasher film trope of um, trauma-creating slasher murderers, but, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, that seems to be the the go to was, with the exception of Michael Myers, which was just yeah, which nuts. I always enjoyed about Halloween. They did they don't have a, there's not an explanation. It's just like yeah, he's just that's just who he is. Yeah, um, but yeah, in this case, it, it similar to prom night and Terror Train and Friday Thirteenth. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. like oh, this horrible thing happened, and that's what drove them to this. Yep. Um, which is it, fine. I mean, it's a twist ending. It's a who done it, and it's just not a very clever yeah. way of, of of revealing. It's not. I don't know. I I personally I mean, always like mysteries where there's at least a logical chance of figuring out why. Well, like all the clues are in front of you somewhere, and this one's just kind of like, eh, no, we're just gonna say it's there. And my my thing with this is like, it's a who done it. But you didn't know it was a whodunit until they're revealing that it's not what you think is going on. So it's kind of a gotcha moment at the end, and you're like, it's. I don't care for it a whole lot, uh, but um, I don't. Know. I don't hate it either. But it's uh, probably one of my least favorite aspects of the movie is because they could have played this as a whodunit. Like maybe have the sheriff find out three quarters of the way through, like, oh wait, Harry Warden is dead. So then we're dealing with like, okay. The mystery is, is Harry Warden come back from the grave or is somebody else? You know, you could throw some red herrings in there. Uh, mm-hmm. could, could have been fun to play around with that concept, but we didn't actually know we were having a mystery film. We thought we had, we knew what was going on. We thought Harry Warden was killing, t- you know, killing the people in the mind. Right. We didn't even know we were trying to figure out a mystery. <laughs> it's it's uh, kind of like, and I guess I'm going to spoil another film, but Jesus, it's already you know 20 years old or older than 20 years. The mm. Scream Two. Oh yeah, yeah, that was always where a... that one always pissed me off because at the end it's like you see Laurie Metcalf in the movie and it's like a cameo, mm-hmm. and then also it's like oh by the way that's the mom of one of the kids from before. So it's like they they sacrifice logic to have their Friday the Thirteenth revealed. Yeah. Nope. And I always hated that. <laughs> I was I was done with the series after that. I never saw any of the other ones. I I own them now and mean to go and tend to watch them because I heard the new ones actually pretty decent. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, that one kind of ruined it for me. I was like, oh, that's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. So this, yeah, the 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 reveal at the end of this is kind of a letdown. But I don't know personally for me, it it, it didn't ruin the film. Yeah, which is well, which is easy to do for one of these. Like the ending can ruin it. It but actually in this case it actually worked. It gives us a pretty horrific um, murder scene. The flashback, Axel's flashback to you know yeah. seeing his father murdered is actually pretty pretty graphic <laughs> and and yeah. disturbing. So um, it gives us that. And it, like I said, I it I don't hate it. It's fine. It just like for it to be like. It feels like there's a good way to do a gotcha, and then this one feels a little cheap because I don't think you you could have seen it coming. You feel kind of bad for Axel in a way. I mean, you always knew TJ was the the winner in that situation, but um, 
I think you felt kind of bad for him because he seemed like an okay guy, you know, maybe kind of a big dumb oaf a little bit, but, um, and then to kind of throw that at you at the end, like, oh, we all knew that his dad had been murdered in front of him. Uh, funny we didn't think about that till just now, but it's like, yeah, because the sheriff and the mayor seemed totally aware of that fact. They were. Yeah. Yeah, they're totally not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's like, oh, yeah, we, we we used to watch him walk around in that gas mask and just chop the heads off of animals and neighborhood you know, strays. <laughs> we kind of always wondered if this was going to happen. It's kind of the attitude they have. Yeah. You know? Well, it's not like he, like, disappeared and, like, came back as a different person and was pretending to be. No, this was just part of his, you know, part of his life story and everyone was aware of it. It's like, okay, well. And and the fact they didn't give the audience that information, it just yeah, it's not a not a very good twist, but it's fine. I don't know. It's, his yeah. uh, his his couple of minutes, not even couple of seconds, that he gets to be crazy Axel on screen is pretty amusing too. But uh, yeah, he cuts the, his own arm off and runs off into the into the mine. Yeah, and cackling the whole time. Yeah. And... <laughs> Then there's the the credits roll as they play, you know, the, what is it called? The the ballad of, the ballad of the ballad Harry, Harry Warden. Warden. Yeah, it's as, got a as you folksy hear, theme song. Yeah, as you hear Axel cackling in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, the ending is really kind of a crash and burn. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, there's two other things I wanted to talk about for sure um, about this. And one one's a, probably a fairly quick one, but uh, we were kind of talking about some of the differences between this film and others. And I know we, we mentioned Sarah as a character in this. Um, and she... But I think in general, one of the things that this movie does big time that is to its credit is it treats its female characters a little bit better than... Uh, slasher films are kind of notoriously rough on... Uh, their depictions of female characters to to the point of it being kind of insulting, I think. And um, this one is not perfect. It certainly is a little bit, you know, dated if you hold it up against a modern standard. But I, I don't think it's cruel to them. It also is not just, you know, uh, they're not just there to, you know, take their clothes off and get murdered. Um, there's, mm-hmm. yeah, Sarah actually has some, some character scenes and, and, you know, there's, there is some other stuff for her to do. She has some legitimate concerns and things to do in the story. Um, and that's Lori Hallier is the actress that played Sarah in the movie. I was looking for that. And, um, but yeah, I mean, the supporting female cast is not really, you know, they're, they don't have a whole lot to do, but at least her character is, is treated as a, as a character and. Yeah. Uh, there is relatively no sexual content in this movie. It's insinuated at times, but uh, which is interesting because uh, most yeah. of these movies are chock full of, you know, horny teens trying to screw in the woods, getting chopped up by Madman is kind of the M.O. for these movies. And this one does not have that aspect to it, um, I think. Yeah. With the exception of one couple that sneaks off to kind of have, you know, uh, mess around in the mine. And they end up dead, but you don't really see. First of all, you don't see any of the sex. Second of all, if it even took place. Second of all, you don't even see them murdered. That that footage, unfortunately, has not been recovered. Although um, George uh, Mahalka says that they did shoot it, so he remembers shooting it. Hmm. 
but yeah, there's like pretty much no nudity. I mean, it's the opening scene is the most sexual it gets. Yeah, like that's it. Yeah, and that's not even much. Yeah. So, yeah, it, that that is something that stands out about this one. You know, I'm just pointing out that it, it is rather tame in that aspect. Which yeah, I don't know. You know, side note, that's always something I found to be pretty ridiculous that. You know, here's a film where you see somebody's head turned into a shower spigot, but, (laughs) you know, there's no tits, so it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's the weird double standard that, especially in America, seems to be an issue with with sex and violence. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, to some people that might be a a detraction of, you know, if you're, you're only coming to these movies because of the amount of gratuitous nudity, you know, Maybe this one's not for you, but that's uh don't worry, it makes up for it with gratuitous violence. So Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Which is the next thing I definitely wanted to touch on because this movie's got a lot of really well, I mean, since we're talking slasher movies, you gotta talk about the interesting kills in the movie, right? And this one's got like you just mentioned, the shower spigot one. It's got some good ones. Uh that I don't I think, think that I've was seen. my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely the most unique one, I think. Um yeah. Sticking a girl's head on the shower spigot and turning on the water. Like, so uh, when her yeah, boyfriend it, finds her, she's literally just an open mouth like shower spigot. This this one, it feels like having you know talked about prom night and having talked about terror train and having seen Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween. Um, and again, don't remember much about Black Christmas, but um, oh, we should watch that one. That's another. We movie. really should. Really good one. Um, yeah. It. This one is really kind of we we later see this kind of stuff done in other Friday the Thirteenth movies. We see mm-hmm. it done especially in all the Nightmare films and even some of the later Halloweens are the creative slasher kills. Yeah, which is the the, the way these movies have stayed fun. Honestly, that's if you don't do if you if you lose that aspect, <laughs> they're they're really a one note thing for the most part. But right, and this one by doing stuff like. The shower spigot, um, you know, it, it's so over the top, mm-hmm. and yes, it's graphic and violent. But notice how controversial that was when this came out, which tells me that this was a little bit of a pioneer yeah. in doing that, and that later became like the hallmark of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, Freddy turns the girl into a roach, <laughs> you know? or feeds herself, you know, feeds the girl meatballs made out of her. Like, yeah, weird shit. Or he turns into a fucking TV, you know, and (laughs) yeah. Well, it's all about marionette. In in every all of these series, as they went on, it was just all about the creative. Friday the Thirteenth, for sure. They just kept coming up with like different, you know, garden tools and power tools that Jason could, you know, kill people with or whatever. Um, But he'd kebab like three people or something (laughs) like that, you know. They just got crazier and crazier, you know. through the eye with a harpoon but yeah like the really <laughs> almost like ridiculously over the top ones seem to really yeah. and maybe i'm wrong but they seem to really start here yeah i mean i think this probably inspired some of them and there's two or three in this movie that are still among in, and i'm not just talking in this movie but it, it's slasher movies in general among my favorites um the old woman what was her name the older lady that was the dance manager she was putting together the uh, I should see it here. Mabel. 
Mabel. Um, Mabel's death in the dryer, uh, and uh-huh. not necessarily her death, but when she he finds her body spinning in the dryer, is a really, really effective, great, um, kind of horrific scene because the, the sheriff opens up the dryer while it's on, which obviously wouldn't really happen because when you open a dryer, it turns off. And I'm pretty sure that was still true in 1981. But uh, the, the corpse kind of spins out of it, and it's just kind of this, like, burned up, mutilated corpse kind of spinning and it's it's a it's a good like disturbing uh, yeah image yeah my absolutely favorite one um i don't know it might be tied with shower spigot is the death of howard uh coming down from the uh when he throws the the corpse down uh with it he's he's got has a noose around his neck initially um, but when it snaps taut, when the rope snaps taut, his head actually rips off of the body, and the body continues oh, to fall. Yeah. Uh, it is really gross. <laughs> like it just like, and it, you don't expect it to happen because you know he's just a hanging man. You think he's gonna hang there like and be a body like they always do in slasher movies when the bodies start popping out in the third yep. act, and then the head just kind of like comes off of the thing, and the body keeps like spinning down. It's like, ugh. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's done really well. And uh, that character of Howard, I kept thinking throughout the entire uh, movie, like, God, would somebody hurry, hurry up and kill Howard, please? Like, let's get rid of this guy <laughs> right away. And he la- he lasts almost all the way through, unfortunately. But that That's but, something <laughs> that you have to have, I think, in any good slasher film, is you have to have the character that the audience wants to be dispatched as quickly <laughs> yeah. as possible. Possibly incredibly violent. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, and I think that's to settle people in. Like, look, a good slasher, I, I, in my opinion, a good slasher has to have a cartoonish element to it. Because yeah. no, the more realistic it is, it's not pleasant to watch. Mm-hmm. It's got to have that over-the-top goofiness. It's it's a morbid humor. Totally agree. Yeah. But yeah, throw throw the Franklin in there. Throw the Howard in there. <laughs> that you're just like, oh, somebody please. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Franklin's another. Yeah, and the, the, yeah. there's almost there always one. You know, there's the, and it's always like the guy that's the prankster or the pervert or the you know whatever he's the obnoxious dude that you're just like oh, okay get that guy out of here. And most movies yeah. appease the audience pretty much right away, and they're one of the first people to go. And this one Howard lasts till almost the end. Yeah, almost yeah. But so that's that yeah. that's the real horror is that you have yeah. to watch Howard the entire fucking movie. Um. <laughs> But no, I I think this one really kind of, you know, of course I was gonna say it kind of sets a tone that comes with slasher films throughout the '80s into the early '90s. Like this kind of sets a, a a trend for like ten years. Yeah. For for slashers because of the way that they just become so. I mean, this is very formulaic. Yeah, it is. But it's certainly not reinventing anything here. It's a slasher movie by almost to the to its to its benefit, I think it's 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 almost like a, you know, by the numbers slasher movie, but it just does everything well. Like it it knows exactly what it is. It's telling kind of the same story. I think it's aware of that, but um yeah, I mean it it concentrates on what what is entertaining about this kind of movie and you know, lets the rest of this stuff go. <laughs> well, you know, and, and thinking back to especially Prom Night and Terror Train, the the effects aren't particularly good. It's your typical just like, ah, and they got stabbed or they got strangled or whatever, right? Mm. 
the effects, there's really no over-the-top effects. This one has over-the-top effects. Yeah, which are all pretty this, good. Like, which are all pretty good. And then yeah. you think about what came after this with like the sequels to Friday the 13th and all the Nightmare on Elm Street films and the sequels to Halloween and the sequels to Chainsaw and all this, where they really started going over-the-top. Yeah. And, and making it that, you know, cartoonish, rubbery... You can tell it's fake, but it looks good on screen. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't... It, 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 or, it doesn't you know, look like a real human head, but it looks... You can. It doesn't look fake. Well, we're in a lot of them are sight gags. It's 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 something that's meant to gross you out. Like it's a gross, yeah. you know, image. It's like and it, Texas Chainsaw Two. It's one that you know we've done reviewed on the show. Yeah. That that's a great example of that. Those those are mostly all gags. You know, it's just like how gross can we be? You know, let's have yeah. have a girl have to escape the situation by dressing up in her friend's skin. Like it's like right. that's something yeah. that's a it's, very it's revolting how, idea. So yeah, how far do you go and. Yeah. I think this is one that did kind of set something a little bit new in place. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the slashers that came before it really just focused on, and there's a killer. Like, I think back to Prom Night. It's just yeah. like, dude dressed in black stabbing people. It's, yeah. Prom and Night with asthma, is, apparently. <laughs> I don't, maybe it's just Jamie Lee being in it, but I'm like we talked about when we talked about Prom Night, I'm not sure why that has you know the staying power the legacy that it does because it's it's really one of the poorest of these movies i think so yeah this one um i i feel kind of sets the stage of the films that come after yeah um it was influential because it did something a little bit different it 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 focused on effects more than i think a lot of the previous ones did yeah, which I'm sure made it, you know, a, a tragedy to the filmmakers when it was the effects were essentially removed from the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so but I'm, if you consider like Halloween, like it's not an effects-heavy movie. No, not at all. It's a suspense movie, and it's very, very good at that. Yep. But and this kept some of the suspense, you know, not enough because that's going to feel like a copycat but it really focused on those effects and yeah it's a shame that they got yeah there's some moments kind of that the suspense works in this movie towards the end especially as the the mine situation mm-hmm. and then getting trapped down in that mine and the claustrophobia kind of sets in yeah especially when they find out the elevators out and they're trapped down there with with harry and uh or who they think is harry so um yeah yeah it's um it it works i don't know it's yeah I think it's a movie that, for all practical purposes, like the most impressive thing about it, it's a movie for all practical purposes shouldn't work that well. Like it should be much stupider than it yep. is, and it actually yep. is, is very watchable and you know well well put together, well shot, well made. Even the acting's not that bad for a movie yeah. like this. So. Yeah, some of it's a bit over the top, but I feel like you know. I feel like some of that's intentional, almost, especially like the bartender and the mayor and the sheriff. Oh just yeah, also. Yeah. It's pretty hammy. Yeah. Yeah. Like knowingly hammy. So. Well, do you have any uh, final thoughts and a grade for 1981 original version of My Bloody Valentine? Yeah, I um one final thought and then I'll get to the grade. I my my one grape about the climax third act of this. There's a really great scene uh leading up to where they uh great suspense scene. We we're just talking about suspense scenes where they are trying to get... The only way out of the mine is by the old um, 
kind of rail cars that go up and out of there because the the new fangled elevator is broken or it's gone it's gone up and they can't get out that way so they have to race to kind of the, the other side of the mine and try to beat harry warden to the other side and get the train cars going and finally like right at the train cars he catches up with them um they get the train moving they jump onto it and harry jumps on the back and then it breaks the suspense with the mo the, the least dramatic slowest like train car chase scene thing that i've ever seen yeah. uh, <laughs> where they just kind of like stand there and show the shots at the two or three of them kind of slowly making their way up the train i'm like this is something like and normally i would say this is a terrible idea to kind of over crank it or kind of speed up the the film but like if i would have seen this i would have considered like hey maybe we should speed this up a little bit and you know it might look a little silly but at least it's not gonna look like they're just kind of like trying to keep their balance which they probably really were if they had to you know stand on that train but um yeah so there was a little bit of a disappointment uh being that it was pretty much the climax of the film um but yeah other than that the rest of the scene works really well just once they get on those train cars it looks like it's not very uh well put together yeah at uh, one point you think like harry you could just jump out and run after him yeah <laughs> you know it's that it's that close and you guys are moving that slowly so yeah yeah so um yeah so it, yeah grade wise i think this is a it's a big dumb fun movie in a lot of ways that just does everything it kind of hits all the right notes um if you stop and try to think about it a lot it's not a great movie you know if you think about well does it have a great original story and a great plot and this or that no not really uh but it's it's surprisingly watchable and for what it is it's a lot of fun pretty great special effects and even disturbing special effects especially for like in 1981 i think this was like like you were just talking about i think this is like breaking ground in a lot of ways um you know if you're not one that enjoys graphic movies maybe not breaking ground in the right kind of ways but it's uh certainly um i think inspirational for that um it's uh without those i yeah it's kind of a tragedy that those were cut from the american theatrical version um because i think that the movies would would most likely have been a lot less memorable without the special effects scenes yeah. um this definitely leans into its kind of cliches, and I think it's all the better for that. It ends up being mostly successful. It's kind of a, a silly um, classic in a lot of ways. I would definitely say it's a classic up there. If you're into this sort of thing, you're into Freddy and Jason, and this is definitely one I would check out. It's definitely worth the watch. It's a brief 90 minutes. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's worth it. I'm going to give this one a B, solid B. I'm pretty much right there with you. Um... You know, the, I, I, I felt a little spoiled that the first time I saw this was the director's cut, kind of as the director's cut was coming out. But yeah, it only really added about three minutes, but those three minutes really do make a difference. Yeah. Um, you get to see, like, the effects that they put into this. And even without those, it's still a very effective movie. It's fun. It doesn't take itself that seriously. It knows it's it's copying a bunch of stuff, and it's a slasher film. They just try to take it to the next level with the effects. And seeing, considering how... That is the way that slasher films ended up going throughout the rest of the 80s into the 90s. Uh, it did kind of by copying, but modifying it did, you know, kind of set a trend in a way. Um, there's, uh, I, I also really, you know, what we mentioned before, 
how this is a cast of 20-somethings playing a cast of 20-somethings. I actually kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. It was a little, it was just more believable than the same story that you see every single time about dumb teenagers. And like you said, they're still doing dumb things, but it works. Um, from a technical perspective and a narrative perspective, I love the fact that this one broke the trend of um, doing all of your prologue stuff at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And it just, the movie starts when the movie starts, and then they have a flashback scene that works really, really well. Um, it changes the pacing a bit of the movie. It it slows you down a little bit to get that backstory, uh, and then it picks back up, and it, it kind of does a fun thing with the audience where it makes you twist and turn a little bit uh, by making the film not quite so linear. Uh, I kind of like that. Um, yes, it does involve a huge exposition dump, but that's the way they go. Uh, yeah, overall performance is good. The, it's a shame that the uh, you know that your your kind of monster here, the Harry Warden minor killer, uh, isn't kind of more more appreciated. Uh, you yeah. know, you throw you throw a hockey mask on a guy, and you know that it, it you know people have it on hoodies thirty In years his later. Third years movie, later. by the way. So. Exactly. <laughs> in the third fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, in this one, you get it right away. And I, yeah, I'm kind of surprised it doesn't continue. But regardless, uh, overall, this is a really fun one. And I like, I, like you said, too, if you like slasher films, this is required viewing. So I am also going to go with a B on this one. Yeah. Right in the middle. But we, of course, would love to know what any of our listeners think of My Bloody Valentine. Uh, what do you think of uh, some of our thoughts on it? What do you think of the, the remake, which we didn't talk about too much? But uh, we'd be happy if you would share any of those questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms with the Video Junkier Podcast. You can send that to videojunkierpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at VideoJunkPod or find us on Facebook at the Video Junkier Podcast page. If you write it, we'll read it, and we would love to hear from you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't really have script for this, but I was thinking uh, if um, it doesn't have to be feedback on the episode, if anybody has any uh, questions, comments on anything, uh questions or anything you want to hear our opinion on you want to leave us a little voice message or uh anything that you would like to get on the show um i guess i'm just begging for people to communicate with us in some way and get involved in the conversation so (laughs) but yeah it doesn't always have to be feedback and what we're talking about if you just want to talk movies with us uh look us up hit us up on the email or uh, on twitter um love to hear from you also, another way to get in touch with us would be to donate to our Patreon. Got any money? Um, it's <laughs> patreon.com slash Podcast. Lots of perks over there. If you do choose to donate, everything that you do donate does go back into producing these podcasts. Um, coming up on the podcast, we have uh, yet another holiday-themed slasher film, and I bet you can guess what it's going to be since the air date for it is a certain specific 1st of April. We're going to be watching 1986's April Fool's Day. Uh, followed by a couple of um, 80s family science films. Uh, we're going to watch Inner Space and My Science Project. Couple, Those are two that I haven't seen since I was a very young person, so uh, looking forward to re-seeing those as well. So I hope you'll come back and join us um, for those and or anything else. Uh, lots of good stuff coming up as, the, as we get deeper into 2022. So, um, yeah. Well, we want to definitely thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and hope you've enjoyed yourself and please feel free to share around with uh, your 
friends and loved ones and even your own bloody valentines of course <laughs> a month late but whatever yeah. and until next time we hope you join us for the next episode until then this is joe peterson i'm miracle branson have a good evening you have been listening to the video junkyard podcast i do wish we could chat longer but i'm having an old friend you just can't let them go go stay on the road We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast all one word want to thank you again for listening and keep digging who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard.